the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Our journey through the book of Luke has been as marvelous as its ending. And with one final look at that ending, we would invite you to join us for Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. Coming up next, join us. And again, welcome to today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. Pastor Gary Wagner has a final look at Luke before we move on in our studies of God's Word. It's been a marvelous journey, and it has a marvelous ending. We've been looking at the ascension of Jesus, and today we focus in with one final look at this ascension and how it is of benefit to you and I. Please join us. From Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose, here's Pastor Gary Wagner with today's edition of Abounding Grace. I have 12 phrases I want to talk about today, and you might want to write them down. I'm going to go through them fairly quickly here, uh, so you might want to write them down as I'm actually going through them. But these phrases have their significance, their significance in the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. Number one is the king of the world. Number two, a seated priest. Number three, a prophet. Number four, a head. Number five, a mediator. Number six, an intercessor. Number seven, an advocate. Number eight, a forerunner. Number nine, supernatural presence. Number 10, victor. Number 11, baptizer with the Holy Spirit. And number 12, coming judge. All of these aspects of the work of Christ are given added significance and meaning because of his ascension. First of all, the king of the world, king of the universe. The Bible tells that tells us that Jesus ascended into heaven to be the king of the world, of the earth, the universe, and every single thing in it. To rule over everything in creation from his throne at God's right hand. So let's now look at some passages that bear this out. Daniel 7, 13 and 14. I kept looking in the night visions... And behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like the Son of Man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. He came up. There you have the ascension. This is not talking about the second coming. It's talking about the ascension. He came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Now turn to Ephesians chapter 1. This is the same book that applies Psalm 68 to the ascension of Christ. Notice what it says in the first chapter, verses 19 through 21. 
Now it's talking about Christ's resurrection and ascension here. And breaking into the middle of a sentence, it says, And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe, ascending to the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. So when Jesus ascended up into heaven and took a scene at the right hand of God, God put to his responsibility the governing of every second of history and every inch of space and every atom of creation. He is in total control. You are not in control. Beloved, Satan is not in control. Christ controls everything that happens in your life. He is control of everything that happens in the Middle East. And believe it or not, he is in control of everything that happens in Washington, D.C. What was one of the last things that Matthew records Jesus saying in his ascension? All authority. All authority, not some authority, has been given to me in heaven and on earth. In other words, he's saying, I am the supreme authority over all authorities to whom every authority on earth is accountable. And so he ascended to be the king of the universe, to make sure that Romans 8.28 will always come true in your life as his child, that God causes all Things to work together for the good for those who love him. Well, our second phrase is the seated priest. That is, when Jesus ascended into heaven, he sat down on his throne of grace. In Hebrews chapter 7, verses 26 and 27, it says, For it was fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens, who does not need daily like those high priests to offer up sacrifices for his own sins and then for the sins of the people, because this he did once for all when he offered up himself. Hebrews 4, 14 and 16. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. You see, again, we see all these allusions to the ascension. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Let us draw, let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, that we may, may receive mercy and may find grace to help in time of need from this seated priest. Now, To have the picture of a seated priest in your mind is an amazing picture. Because the priest in the Old Testament never sat down as he performed his duties. And they had to offer sacrifices morning and evening every single day of the week to symbolize the death of Christ. Because the blood of bulls and goats does not take away the sins of the people. I mean, Israel religion was a bloody religion. And these priests were always offering sacrifices. Christ offered up one. And that sacrifice of himself was so sufficient that he's now seated. The work is finished, beloved. And now he is a seated priest. 
No more sacrifices are necessary. It's all done. Salvation is accomplished for all those who place their faith in Christ. Well, now the word prophet. Jesus, in various places in the New Testament, is called a prophet. And that is to emphasize that he is the fulfillment of Deuteronomy 18, 18, and 19, where the Lord says, I will raise up a prophet from among your countrymen like you, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he will speak to them all I have commanded him. And it shall come about that whoever will not listen to my words, which he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. So first of all, you better listen to Jesus. Jesus is the prophet of God. But his work as a prophet did not end when he left this world. He was a prophet while he was here speaking the words of God, prophesying the future. But now the ascended Christ still performs the work of a prophet. What is one of the first things that the ascended prophet did as a prophet? He inspired the New Testament He completed the biblical revelation in that he commissioned apostles and inspired them with the Holy Spirit to write down inerrantly what he wanted the church and every age to know. And then, of course, he completed it with the book of Revelation. But he also says that he continues the work of a prophet by preaching through faithful preachers of the word of God. Remember, we saw this last week when we looked at Romans 10. Do you remember? It says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How shall, they come up, how shall they call upon him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall he preach unless he is sent? So the Lord Jesus Christ still acts as the ascended one, like a prophet, preaching through the faithful preaching of the word of God. Then he acts as a prophet by illumining his people by his spirit, to savingly understand his word, so that when his word is preached, you understand it because the prophet is enabling you to understand it by his spirit. And then the fourth thing he is doing as a prophet today is by answering the Pentateuch when it says, oh, that all of my people were prophets. So Jesus is fulfilling that prayer by making all of us prophets. Now, does that mean that we can forecast the future? Actually, yes, in a limited way. If you read the Bible, you can understand things that are going to happen if such and such takes place. And if you do such and such a thing, you know what will happen in the future, unless God intervenes in his grace. But a prophet not only forecasts the future, he also interprets what's going on in the present. So Christ is working making prophets out of all of us. All right, there's another phrase. Jesus is the head. Now, this subject is actually a light motif in the book of Ephesians. It says, first of all, that he is the head over all things for the church. It says in Ephesians 1.22, and he, the Father, put all things in subjection under his feet, that is, the ascended Christ feet, and gave him his head over all things to the church. So the reason the Lord Jesus Christ is ascended is that he would be the head over everything in the church to make sure that everything on earth that happens, happens for the benefit of God's people. 
The book of Ephesians also says that Christ ascended to be the head of the church organically. That is, as the source of life for his people, the church. We see this in Ephesians 4, 15, and 16. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, for whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Here's another picture painted with words. Christ is the head. We are the body. We are organically related. And he is the source of our life. Apart from him and our union with him, we are nothing. We have no life whatsoever. Then in Ephesians 5.22 and, 5, and 23, we say that Jesus is not only the head of everything for the church, not only the head of the church organically, but he is also the head of the church organizationally. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. So in the organization of marriage, the husband is the head, the wife is to be submissive. Why? Because that is the nature of the relationship between Christ and his church and the organization of that church. He's the head, and the church is to be submissive to him. You know, when I ask people, what are the offices of the church? Literally, nine times out of ten, they are wrong. Even reformed brothers and sisters. When I ask them, what are the biblical offices of the church? They'll say, elders and deacons. Wrong. Okay, preachers, elders, and deacons. Wrong. Okay, preachers, elders, deacons, and evangelists. Right, but wrong. They leave out the head of the church. The supreme office of the church is the Lord Jesus Christ. Elders are appointed to govern the church by Christ. And they can't create new doctrines. They have no discretionary power when it comes to explaining the Bible. And they have no discretionary power when it comes to defining the mission of the church. And they have no discretionary power when they describe what is to be done in the worship of God. In the organizational church, Christ's word is the law. And if he didn't command it, you can't do it. He arose from the dead and descended to God's right hand to be the head of the organizational church. Okay, the next phrase is the mediator. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, There is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And in Hebrews 8.6 it says, But now he, that is Christ, has obtained a most excellent ministry, by as much as he also the mediator, is the mediator of a better covenant, which has been enacted on better promises. In other words, having reconciled us to God by his life and death, Jesus now remains our mediator to bring our lives and all to bring into our lives all the benefits of his atoning death and to fulfill in us the promises of God's covenant. As mediator, he is also said to be in the Bible a intercessor. Now, an intercessor goes a little further than a mediator. The intercessor does not stop with mediation and reconciliation. A mediator uses the opportunity to say a good word on behalf of the person in whose interest he intervenes. 
And that's the way Jesus is. In Hebrews 7, 23 and 24, we read, The former priests, on the one hand, existed in greater numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. But on the other hand, because he abides forever, holds his priesthood permanently. He is still a priest. And what is he doing? Romans 8, 33 and 34. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, who was rather raised, who is at the right hand of God, again an allusion to the ascension, who also intercedes for us. So right now, the ascended Christ is in heaven praying for us, interceding, saying good words about us and for us to the living God, literally praying John 17 on our behalf. But also as a mediator, is not only an intercessor, he is an advocate, and that advances a new thought. And an advocate is more than an intercessor. He is someone who's called to the help of a person in distress. He pleads in court for the one whom he represents, and Jesus is such an advocate for us. 1 John 2, 1 says, My little children, I am writing these things to you that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. In other words, the Apostle John is saying, I am writing this letter to you to encourage you not to sin. But I know you're going to. There's no excuse for your sins, absolutely no excuse. You can't pass the buck to anyone else. I want you to try and stop sinning. I've given you the power, Christ says. I've given you the direction. But when you do, understand you have an advocate. You have someone in heaven who's going to plead on your behalf. He's going to stand in heaven on your behalf. But he will not say, Lord, he didn't mean to do that. That little cuss word just sort of slipped out. She didn't mean to yell at her husband, but please understand, she had a horrible headache. That's not the way he advocates on our behalf. Satan is the accuser of the brethren. And he stands in the presence of God and he accuses us. He is there right now saying, God, see Gary Wagner? He is a good-for-nothing, rotten sinner who deserves to go to hell. Damn him! And then Jesus steps forth as my advocate, and he pleads my case, and he says, God, Satan is right. Gary Wagner is good-for-nothing, and he deserves to go to hell. But I went to hell in his place. I paid the penalty he should have paid. God, don't look at him. Look at me and what I did on his behalf. He is our advocate with the Father. And the Bible also says he's our forerunner in Hebrews 6, 19 and 20. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a, a hope both sure and steadfast. The one which enters within the veil where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us. Now write this in the margin along with forerunner. Write pioneer. In Hebrews 10, 19 through 22, we read, Since therefore, brethren, we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated or pioneered for us through the veil that is the flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. Remember those old pioneers? 
you know, Daniel Boone, Davy Crockett, and all the rest. They cut a trail for people to follow into the wilderness, into new lands. And here Jesus is being portrayed as that forerunner. He is being portrayed as that pioneer who has cut a new and living way into the presence of God, where he is to this very day. And his people will always follow their head. So here the Lord Jesus Christ ascends to God's right hand as a man, guaranteeing that all of his people will follow this pioneer who has cut a new way to the throne of God. For where he is, there we will be also. Then there is the phrase, the supernatural presence in our midst. Jesus ascended to God's right hand that he might be a supernatural presence in our midst. The ascended Christ who is far above this universe at God's right hand is nevertheless still in constant touch and full sympathy with his body here on this earth. While he is very physically in heaven, he is at the same time by the power of his spirit with his church occupying himself with the concerns of his believers every day of their lives. So Jesus is not only the head of the church, he is also a real presence in our midst. He is here. He is present in our lives. We live in his presence just as a fish lives in water. He has taken up residence in our hearts, not physically, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. What's the last thing he said in Matthew 28? Lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth. In fact, he says, now I've ascended, that I've, send, I've ascended to the right hand of God by the power of the Spirit. I am more profoundly and more intimately close to you than I ever was when I lived among my people for three years upon this earth. John 14, verses 16 through 22. I want you to notice one phrase. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, the Holy Spirit, that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, but it, because it does not behold him or know him, but you know him. Because he abides with you and will be in you, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. He says, when I ascended to God's right hand, and I send forth my Holy Spirit into your life, I'll come to you. I'm not going to be absent from you. The Holy Spirit is going to bring my presence to you closer than it ever was before. And now notice this great picture in Revelation 1, 10 through 20. Here John describes the main character of the last book of the Bible. Notice this glorious picture, all of this imagery of our ascended Christ. Listen to Revelation chapter 1, verses 10 through 20. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet. Verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet, and girded across his chest with a golden chest. His head... And his hair were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like uh, burnished bronze, 
when it has been made to glow in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and, he was, and his face was like the sun, shining in its strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. And he placed his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last, and the living one. And I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and of Hades. Therefore, write the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after these things. As for the mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven church, or uh, pastors, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Now here you have this glorious picture of the ascended, reigning, ruling Christ. And the first thing it says about him is, he is standing among the golden lampstand. And then the last thing it says is, the lampstands represent the churches. Well, this has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. As we have closed out our time together today, I would remind you that our desire is to know how this program encourages you in Christ. Now, there are a couple of three ways that you can contact us to provide us with this information. And again, it would really encourage us a great deal if you'd take a moment and let us know how the program is encouraging you in your walk and relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's how to contact us. Phone number is 408 408- Eight six six five six zero seven. That's four zero eight eight six six five six zero seven. Our website, where you can drop us an email and even learn a bit more about us, is reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, you can write to us at PMB. That stands for Post Mailbox Number four zero two fourteen eighty four Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California. The zip code is nine five zero three two. Now, there is another way you can contact us, and this would be the best of all, especially if you're not involved in a church at this time. Plan on visiting. Let us uh, fellowship face-to-face, as it were. We meet at Lone Hill Church, 2 in the afternoon on Sundays at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org, or by calling 408-866-5607. By the way, copies of the broadcast are just $5. Mention today's date when you contact us, and we'll get a CD out to you right away. Thank you for joining us today. Until next time, God bless. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here. Here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.